The worst anti-Semitic shooting in American history rocks the country. The left blames President Trump and a populist wins a shock victory in Brazil. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Well, obviously an awful morning to be doing a podcast, but here we are. And I have a lot of thoughts, obviously, on what happened over the weekend. The worst anti-Semitic shooting in American history taking place at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Just awful. And a lot to break down here about the state of American politics, about the state of the country, about the state of civilization. Suffice it to say that the the short story here is that when the seams of Western civilization begin to come apart, anti-Semitism is what crawls through those gaps. And that's exactly what we've seen in the past few years. I'll talk more about that in just a second. First, on a more uplifting note, let's talk about how you feed your dog. So dog food companies claim to use natural ingredients, but what kind of beef or carrots can sit in a paper bag for a year? We can't eat processed food for every meal and be our healthiest, and neither can your dog, which is why you need the Farmer's Dog. It's the company helping dogs live long, healthy lives with nutritious, fresh, ready-to-serve dog meals delivered directly to your door. Now listen, I'll be honest. I don't know that much about dogs. I don't know that much about dog food, but I do know that my boss's dog, my boss, my business partner's dog, Jasper, he loves this dog food. Not only that, I have many dog lovers who are in my immediate family and among my friend group, and the farmer's dog is great for them. Here's how it works. Clever marketing has convinced Americans to feed unhealthy kibble and canned mush. The farmer's dog is different. The farmer's dog is the company that helps those dogs by giving them nutritious, fresh, ready-to-serve dog meals delivered directly to your door. You complete a short online quiz. A vet-developed plan is created just for your dog. Food arrives at your door in pre-portioned packages, ready to open and pour. It's easy. It looks and smells like real food because it is real food. Just ask the chief executive dog, my real boss over at The Daily Wire, Jasper. He voraciously gives his paw print of approval. Indeed. Oh, look at that dog. That is a dog that really likes that food. Start feeding your dog better today. Try a week for free at thefarmersdog.com slash Ben. Plus, you get free shipping again. Get your first week for free at thefarmersdog.com slash Ben. Thefarmersdog.com slash Ben. Go check it out right now. You take that quiz, and then the Vet Develop plan is created just for your dog, and all this stuff arrives free at your door. Thefarmersdog.com slash Ben. The product is not free. The shipping is free. Go check it out right now. Thefarmersdog.com slash Ben. So you're going to want to piece of it, or your dog is in any case. So go check that out right now. All right. So let's talk about this tree of life shooting. So over the weekend, obviously the worst anti-Semitic shooting attack in the history of the United States, 11 people murdered in a synagogue during what we call a brit milah, uh, a bris, which is where an eight day old boy uh, is circumcised and the baby naming ceremony takes place at that point. This was a conservative synagogue, not a politically conservative synagogue, a religiously conservative synagogue in Judaism, in American Judaism anyway. There are several branches of Judaism. I'm an Orthodox Jew, which means deeply observant, keep Sabbath, don't drive on Sabbath, keep kosher. There's conservative Judaism, which is sort of less Orthodox. People drive on Sabbath. They sort of keep a form of Sabbath. Uh, They don't keep full kosher, but they have certain respect for Torah laws. In any case, this conservative synagogue didn't have much security and an anti-Semitic white supremacist, but I repeat myself, walked into the synagogue armed with an AR-15 and proceeded to shoot up the bris milah. He was screaming at the time, all Jews must die. So obviously a subtle fellow. So why does this matter? First of all, I I think that we need to get something off the table right away. When an anti-Semitic attack occurs, you generally don't need to bother blaming particular politicians. Anti-Semitism is literally as old as the Jewish people. Literally as old as the Jewish people. Now, there are politicians in the past who have called for anti-Semitism. There are politicians in the past who have actively called for the murder of Jews. I'm not seeing a lot of those on today's American scene. There are a lot of politicians on today's American scene who hobnob with anti-Semites, who make common cause with anti-Semites. And we'll get to all of that in just a second. But folks who are blaming the left or the right for the anti-Semitic shooting that happened yesterday, white supremacism and anti-Semitic attacks on Jews have existed for decades in this country, long before anything that is going on in today's politics. And that's not to downplay what's happening in today's politics. That's what the rest of the show is going to be about. But let's just be clear about this. When it comes to attacks on Jews, there is nothing new under the sun, legitimately nothing new under the sun. I don't know a single Jew, seriously, a single Jew, who is not one degree removed from a violent attack on a Jew. And that's not to say that America is a violent country for Jews. It is not. America is the safest country in world history for Jews. America is an incredible place for Jews. But because the Jewish population is so small and because so many Jews know each other and because the Jews sort of consider themselves an extended family, just as Christians consider themselves an extended religious family, it's difficult not to feel it deeply, obviously, when when an attack like this takes place. The history of the Jewish people is filled with fractious division 
but history has treated the Jews as a closely bound unit. Jewish identity isn't really a choice. It's a reality. Modernity has obscured this for a lot of Jews, but the fact is that all Jews are in the same boat when it comes to anti-Semites like this. And as I say, every Jew is one degree removed from some level of anti-Semitic violence. I live in the Los Angeles community. I'm probably, if not the most prominent Orthodox Jew in the country, the most prominent Orthodox Jew wearing a yarmulke in the country, I think would be fair to say. I walk around in public with a yarmulke. That's how safe I think this country is. I live in a city with some 900,000 Jews. Los Angeles has 900,000 Jews living in the city. Still, anti-Semitic attacks have occurred in the LA Jewish community since I was a child. In 1991, a synagogue just down the block from me was firebombed. In 1999, a white supremacist drove past the high school that I would attend a year later, checked it out, and then proceeded to drive over to the West Valley JCC and shoot it up. In 2002, a radical Muslim terrorist walked into the LL counter at LAX and shot up the LL counter, killing a member of my community. When I attended the Yeshiva University High School of Los Angeles, we had bomb scares, bomb threats. Maybe every three months, we'd have to evacuate the school. So anti-Semitism, particularly from white supremacists, is nothing new here. So this brings us to the bigger question. This brings us to the bigger question, and that is why this thing happened right now. Now, I'm not going to mention the name of the shooter because I don't mention the name of terrorists or mass shooters on the program. I don't want to give them any sort of glory. This mass shooter used a little-known social network to spew hatred toward Jews. He called them the children of Satan as he showed off his family of firearms. He now faces the death penalty after unleashing the guns on worshipers at the Tree of Life Synagogue. He was particularly upset about a a Jewish nonprofit providing aid to refugees. Uh, The Jewish nonprofit is uh, is called Hyas, and he tweeted, Hyas likes to bring in invaders that kill our people. I can't sit by and watch my people get slaughtered. Screw your optics. I'm going in. That was the last tweet that he sent before he went and murdered a bunch of Jews, most of them over the age of 50, including a Holocaust survivor. He also had a particular dislike for President Trump. He dismissed President Trump as a globalist rather than a nationalist. He said there is no MAGA as long as there is a kike infestation. I'm going to use the word here because I think it's imperative to know the language that these these monsters use, these evil, evil people. So the, the media's take on all of this has, I think, been quite simplistic and foolish. Uh, They have, of course, suggested that President Trump is responsible for everything. President Trump is responsible for the shooting, specifically because President Trump in 2016, 2017, winked and nodded at the alt-right. Now, I was highly critical of President Trump for doing that. I am highly critical of President Trump for doing that. I was the number one target of alt-right anti-Semitism online in 2016 with a bullet. It was not close. 40% of all anti-Semitic tweets by the alt-right in 2016 were directed at me personally. So I am well acquainted with the folks that President Trump winked and nodded at. This guy was not alt-right. He was a white supremacist. There is a slight difference. He is not a member of the the modern alt-right movement, which is disgusting and evil and anti-Semitic in and of itself. But he is a white supremacist with with a longer standing past. Because this is a complex topic, I'm going to try to parse this. I'm going to try to parse this because a bunch of things can be true all at once. Number one, just as I said last week with regard to the attempted bombings against Democratic targets, just as I said then, you cannot connect a politician's rhetoric to a violent action unless the politician actually calls for the violent action. President Trump has engaged in nothing even remotely approaching incitement against Jews. No one can name a single comment that he has ever made that looks like incitement against Jews. In fact, this president of the United States has been extraordinarily pro-Israel and pro-Jewish. And the president's comments in response to this particular anti-Semitic attack were far stronger than his predecessor's responses to similar anti-Semitic attacks. For example, here's what the president of the United States had to say in the after, this is clip 15, this is what the president had to say in the aftermath of the attack. The scourge of anti-Semitism cannot be ignored, cannot be tolerated, and it cannot be allowed to continue. We can't allow it to continue. It must be confronted and condemned everywhere. It rears its very ugly head. We must stand with our Jewish brothers and sisters to defeat anti-Semitism and vanquish the forces of hate. That's what it is. Okay, so his, his statements that anti-Semitism must be eradicated, it was a far stronger statement than Barack Obama's tweet. So here's what Barack Obama tweeted. And I want to show you the contrast between this because, again, if we're going to talk about standing with the Jews, then we have to talk about whose response to this attack was actually better. President Trump's better, was better than Obama's. Here, here was Obama's response on Twitter. We grieve for the Americans murdered in Pittsburgh. All of us have to fight the rise of anti-Semitism and hateful rhetoric against those who look, love, or pray differently. 
then we have to stop making it so easy for those who want to harm the innocent to get their hands on a gun. President Trump took on anti-Semitism point blank. He said anti-Semitism is evil and it must be eradicated. He didn't try to liken it to hatred against any other group. He didn't try to make it about gun control. Barack Obama did both of those things. The left has a tendency to obscure anti-Semitism with the broad brush of bigotry, simply saying that anti-Semitism is like any other hatred. It is not like any other hatred. Every hatred has its own diagnosis. Every hatred has its own symptoms. Anti-black racism is not the same as anti-white racism. Anti-black racism is not the same thing as anti-Semitism. Anti-LGBT homophobia is not the same thing as anti-Semitism. Barack Obama simply wants to push a progressive agenda, and so he lumps in anti-Semitism with all other forms of hatred that is inaccurate and it is untrue, and it does have some consequences when it comes to policy. Now, let's go through some of the elements here that I think are important. First of all, as I say, President Trump in 2016, 2017, did wink and nod at the alt-right. Okay, again, I've said this a thousand times. I wrote editorials about it. I was extraordinarily vocal about it. From his unwillingness to condemn David Duke on CNN, to his unwillingness to condemn alt-right attacks on Julia Jaffe, the GQ journalist we'll get to in a second, to bringing on Steve Bannon, who called himself the progenitor of a, a website that, was, that became a, a gathering place for the alt-right. President Trump winked and nodded at this. I know this because I became the target of the alt-right. Trump's statements in the aftermath of Charlottesville provided aid and comfort to white supremacists. I don't see any way around that. But Trump is not a white supremacist and he is not an anti-Semite. He has a pathological aversion to criticizing anyone who says anything nice about him. Point number two, there's a bunch of things that are true at the same time. And if you want to understand what's going on, we need to recognize this. Point number two, white supremacism is not alt-right MAGA. They are not the same category of people. White supremacists long predated President Trump. They're not a new development. Those people were going to shoot Jews regardless of what anybody had to say because they have been shooting Jews since long before I was born. In 1999, as I mentioned, a white supremacist shot up our local JCC. That same year, six Orthodox Jews were shot in Chicago along with a black man and several Asians by a white supremacist. This sort of stuff has been happening for a very long time. It has nothing to do with President Trump. Third, President Trump has separated from the alt-right in dramatic ways. Hey, to say that President Trump is still associated with the alt-right is to be ignorant of President Trump's administration or what he has done. The alt-right is enraged with him. If you go look at Richard Spencer, if you go look at, at some of the other members of the alt-right, they're angry at him. They believe that he has been hijacked by the globalists. Okay, the same way that this shooter thought that President Trump was standing up too much for the kikes. Okay, so that is the way that, that, that is just a basic truth. President Trump has been extraordinarily pro-Jewish and pro-Israel in his actual presidency. That is a basic foundational truth. And if you fail to acknowledge it, you are lying by omission. Okay, in a second, I'm going to get to a few more points we have to keep in mind. Then we'll get to the media's response, which, again, I think is simplistic, despicable, and partisan. We'll get to all of that in just one second. First, let's talk about your back comfort. So I can't say enough about our next sponsor, the Teeter Inversion Table. The Teeter Inversion Table allows you to use gravity and your own body weight to decompress your spine, relieve pressure on your discs and surrounding nerves. Decompressing on the Teeter Inversion Table for a few minutes a day is a great addition to your daily routine. I work out a lot, and that means that I get lower back pain on a fairly frequent basis. What I do is I climb on that Teeter Inversion Table, and I promise you, by the end of it, by the end of my little session on the Teeter Inversion Table, I'm feeling a lot better. I feel much better. It decompresses my spine. It's good for my shoulders. I've done my homework. It is the best inversion table on the market. Over 3 million people have put their trust in Teeter, and for good reason. In fact, my training partner, my, uh, my personal trainer, He's a guy with serious back problems. He's been using the Teeter Inversion Table as well. He loves it. They're offering a great deal just for my listeners. For a limited time, you can get the brand new 2019 Teeter Fit Spine Inversion Table model with bonus accessories and a free pair of gravity boots so you can invert at home or take the boots with you to the gym. Teeter Inversion Tables have thousands of reviews on Amazon.com. They are rated at 4.6 stars. And with this deal, you will get $150 off when you go to teeter.com slash Ben. Also, you get free shipping, free return, 60-day money-back guarantee. So you're not losing anything. Remember, you can only get those tw the new 2019 Teeter Fit Spine Inversion Table plus a free pair of gravity boots by going to teeter.com slash Ben. That's T-E-E-T-E-R dot com slash Ben. Go check it out right now, teeter.com slash Ben. Okay, a few more points that we have to keep in mind with regard to the shooting in Pennsylvania and what it has to do with President Trump, which is to say very little. President Trump, as I say, has separated from the alt-right in dramatic ways. So the first three points that I've made here, President Trump did wink and nod at the alt-right for two years. Two, white supremacism, not the same as alt-right MAGA. Three, President Trump has separated from the alt-right in dramatic ways, and they are pissed at him over it. Okay, that is true of this shooter, too, who is anti-Trump. Fourth, if we're going to talk about how flirting with anti-Semites and anti-Semitic rhetoric and this making things less safe for Jews, then let's actually talk about that. Who do you think has made the world less safe for Jews? President Trump and his winking and nodding at the alt-right 
or the left, which mainstreams Louis Farrakhan, which mainstreams Linda Sarsour, which mainstreams the BDS movement, which mainstreams wildly anti-Israel and anti-Semitic policies. Which one do you think is more damaging to Jews all across the world and in the United States? Which one do you think is leading to more mainstream anti-Semitism? Do you think it's the party that might have removed Jerusalem, tried to remove Jerusalem in 2012 from their platform? Or is it the party that moved the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem and Israel? Do you think that it's the party standing up for religious freedom? Or do you think that it's the party looking to obliterate a religious freedom in the name of so-called anti-discrimination? Do you think that it's the party that mainlines Keith Ellison and tries to make him head of the DNC after he refuses and, and spends years backing Louis Farrakhan? Or do you think that it might be the party that opposes that? Mainstream members of the Democratic Party routinely hobnob with anti-Semites. Not just hobnob with them, agree with them. This is true on the European left as well. Folks like Jeremy Corbyn in Britain expressing their sympathy for what happened in Pittsburgh. Go F yourself, dude. No one is interested in what a Hamas supporter has to say about Jews being shot in a synagogue in, in Pittsburgh. See, for the Jewish community, really, for, for Jews who really care about being Jewish, there is not a whit of difference between a Jew being murdered for being a Jew in Jerusalem, a Jew being murdered for, for being Jewish in France, or a Jew being murdered for being Jewish in Pittsburgh. It's all of a piece. And for folks on the left who suggest that the death of a Jew in Jerusalem is different than the death of a Jew in Pittsburgh for anti-Semitic reasons, those people are part of the problem. And so if we're going to talk about anti-Semitic rhetoric and who's to blame for a rise in Jewish deaths the world over, a rise in hate crimes the world over, then let's actually talk about it. I don't think the left wants to talk about that. I think what they want is partisan hackery. A little more on this in just a second. Let's be clear about this. When President Trump tried to wink and nod at the alt-right. He was taking a fringe group, a fringe group that was non-associated with the conservative movement, and he was winking and nodding at them for political purposes, and then he tossed them out on their ear, which is why they're angry with him. The mainstream Democratic Party, the mainstream Democratic Party and the left in this country have decided that it is perfectly fine to hobnob with people who support anti-Semitic terrorism. They've decided that's okay. I'm not blaming those folks for what happened in Pittsburgh. That's not their fault either. But if we're going to talk about rhetoric and its impact on anti-Jewish sentiment the world over, I'm going to go with the folks who every time there's a war in the Gaza Strip suggest that Jews the world over are to blame or suggest that Israel is to blame for defending itself or suggest that when Jews are attacked at a kosher supermarket in France, that, that that's a random attack. If we're going to condemn rhetoric, let's condemn rhetoric. I'm happy to separate rhetoric from violence. I'm happy to do that on all sides. But if we're going to talk rhetoric, you have to condemn rhetoric when it happens, where it happens and from whom it comes. Okay, I condemned President Trump when he was candidate Trump doing this nonsense with the alt-right. I did it over and over and over. I've done the same thing with folks on the left. I don't see anyone on the left doing the same thing to folks on the left. I see them only doing it to folks on the right for partisan political reasons. That's all I'm seeing. I'm seeing a bunch of people who don't give a good damn when a Jew gets killed in Jerusalem popping out of the woodwork to say that the right is responsible for what just happened in Pittsburgh, all the while championing an Iran deal that will lead to the annihilation of millions of people if the Iranians have their way. That is partisanship. That is disgusting partisanship. And I will show you that sort of partisanship in just a second. Because that's the fifth point here. Okay, we're actually going to talk about policy. Let's separate rhetoric and policy for just a second. Okay, again, I'm for the 1,000th time, when anti-Semitic rhetoric or rhetoric that tut-tuts anti-Semitism takes place, I will condemn it loudly and strongly as I have. You can go back and listen to the show. I've done it every step of the way against people on all sides. I don't care. I'll keep doing it because it's the right thing to do. I'll do the same thing with racist rhetoric. I'm happy to do it on every side. Okay, but now let's talk about policy and which policy is getting Jews killed. Okay, if you're gonna talk about policies that lead to Jews dying, it ain't President Trump's policy. If the Obama administration lied to the American people and promoted an Iran deal that gave the mullahs a clear pathway to a nuclear weapon. President Trump not only moved the embassy to Jerusalem, he also cut off aid to the anti-Semitic, anti -Semitic, openly anti-Semitic, terror-supporting Palestinian Authority. The Obama administration tried to make Israel make concessions to those terrorists. The Obama administration, in the middle of the Gaza war in 2014, threatened to cut off military supplies to the Israelis. The Obama administration was just blatantly not only anti-Israel, not only blatantly anti-Israel, but promotional of a wing of, of progressive Jews for whom progressivism came first and Judaism came second. So if you're going to talk about policy that led to dead Jews, forget the, forget the location, then you actually have to talk about it. But we're not going to talk about any of that stuff, obviously. We're not going to talk about any of that stuff. So 
Now let's talk about how the media actually responded to this because it's, while it's just tremendously dishonest. So let's start with a media story that came courtesy. I, I'm sorry, this is, all, all this is deeply upsetting. It's deeply upsetting because we should all be on the same side when it comes to anti-Semitism. I think that we probably all would be on the same side when it comes to anti-Semitism, but nobody is actually willing to call out anti-Semitism when and where it exists on any side unless they are busy defending their own political side and their own political hide. It's disgusting. And the media are complicit in this. The me- Maggie Haberman, a reporter for whom I generally have respect at the New York Times, she tweeted out today, letter to President Trump from Pittsburgh Jewish leaders. And this is a headline that was repeated by a variety of media groups. The Washington Post, he is not welcome here. Thousands support Pittsburgh Jewish leaders calling on Trump to denounce white nationalism. The Hill, progressive Jewish leaders tell Trump he's not welcome in Pittsburgh until he denounces white nationalism. Newsweek, Jewish group says Donald Trump not welcome in Pittsburgh until he is ready to fully denounce white nationalism. Okay, now, you would think this sounds like Jewish leaders in Pittsburgh tell President Trump not to show up. Isn't that what it sounds like? So the headline says, after all, I'm going to tell you the whole story in just one second. Because it turns out the media are lying to you. It turns out the media are lying to you because they're more interested in getting President Trump than in actually fighting anti-Semitism or unifying against anti-Semitism. It seems to me when the president of the United States comes out, openly condemns anti-Semitism, wants to visit Pittsburgh, is probably going to put in place new measures to fight anti-Semitism. Maybe we all can be on the same side, but apparently not. Apparently not. I'll explain. First, let's talk about how you can save money on stamps. So these days you can get pretty much anything on demand. You can get our podcast on demand. Listen whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. Why are you still taking trips to the post office to mail letters and packages when you could sit at your desk and do the same thing? With stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office directly from your desk 24-7 when it is convenient for you. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package using your own computer and printer. The mail carrier picks it up. Just click, print, mail. You're done. We use it here at Daily Wire. You can print the postage directly out onto the envelope, onto a piece of paper that you tape to the envelope, onto a sticker, and you are good to go. Stamps.com is fantastic. It saves us time and it saves us money. Right now, use promo code Shapiro for a special offer, including up to 55 bucks of free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Shapiro. That's Stamps.com. Enter promo code Shapiro right now. Again, Stamps.com, promo code Shapiro. It is the easiest and best way for you to get your stamps. You don't have to go to the post office. You can just sit there and get it done. Stamps.com. Use that promo code Shapiro. Again, Stamps.com. Promo code Shapiro. Okay, so what what are the media not telling you about the Jewish leaders who supposedly said that President Trump shouldn't show up? They're from a group called Bend the Ark. Okay, the Bend the Ark wrote a letter stating, for the past three years, your words and your policies have emboldened a growing white nationalist movement. You yourself call the murderer evil, but yesterday's violence is the direct culmination of your influence. President Trump, you are not welcome in Pittsburgh until you fully denounce white nationalism. Our Jewish community is not the only group you have targeted. You have deliberately undermined the safety of people of color, Muslims, LGBTQ people, and people with disabilities. Yesterday's massacre is not the first act of terror you incited. Okay, so who the hell is this group? Who's been the Ark? Okay, the group is a leftist political action group, self-stated with the Jewish label. Their stated mission is, quote, rising up in solidarity with everyone threatened by the Trump agenda to fight for the soul of our nation. Their missions include the election of, quote, progressive champions and the implementation of progressive legislation and policies like criminal justice reform and economic equity. Who runs Ben the Ark? It was founded by Alexander Soros, George Soros's son. When he started the PAC, Politico noted Soros, who formed his own foundation in 2012 to promote social justice and human rights, has given $1.2 million to Democratic candidates and groups in the last three decades. This is a Democratic political action committee, and the press treated it as though it was a bunch of rabbis, well-respected in the Jewish community, who came out and told Trump not to show up in Pittsburgh. That is a lie. The director of Ben the Ark originally was a guy at, uh, he was a guy named Hadar Suskind. He was a former head staffer at J Street, an anti-Semitic, anti-Israel BDS group. Okay, that's the group that's condemning President Trump. The media ran the headline, thousands support Pittsburgh Jewish leaders calling on Trump to denounce white nationalism. That is the headline from the Washington Post. That is a blatant, absolute, outright lie. It is an outright lie. You know how I know it's an outright lie? Because here is a clip of the rabbi at the Tree of Life synagogue that was just shot up on national television being asked whether President Trump was welcome in Pittsburgh. President Trump has talked about coming to Pittsburgh and coming to your synagogue in the aftermath of this. Do you want him to come? The the president of the United States is always welcome. Um, I'm a citizen. He's my president. He's certainly welcome. And just how dishonest is that? 
The actual rabbi of the synagogue says, he's welcome. Come to my synagogue. A bunch of anti, I mean, these folks are anti-Israel, by the way. A bunch, of, a bunch of people on the radical left say that they don't like President Trump. And suddenly, suddenly, it's Jewish leaders all over Pittsburgh calling for this. Just deep and abiding dishonesty, abiding dishonesty. And this, of course, prompted President Trump to get himself in trouble again because President Trump cannot help but step on a rake every five seconds. The president tweets out in response to the media stuff like this. There is great anger in our country caused in part by inaccurate and even fraudulent reporting of the news. The fake news media, the true enemy of the people, must stop the open and obvious hostility and report the news accurately and fairly. That will do much to put out the flame. I agree with President Trump that the media are doing a terrible job and they are lying about him and lying about the situation. But if he doesn't stop at this enemy of the people crap, he undermines everything that he is saying. The press are not the enemy of the people. The press are politically biased hacks. There is a difference. Calling them the enemy of the people only raises the temperature in a time when it doesn't need to be raised. But he is not wrong that the media are out to get him. And he is not wrong that the media have decided that no matter what the question was, the answer is it's Trump's fault. It's so funny. On the left, <coughs> it became a meme when President Obama was president that when, it, when something went wrong, everybody would say, blame Obama. Obama even joked about it. There's no question that for the left, it doesn't matter what the question is. Why, is the, why did the butter get spoiled? Why is the fridge broken? Why did I get in a car crash? The answer is President Trump. Okay, here is the Washington Post headline the day after the shooting in Pittsburgh. Okay, this is, uh, this is this. Yeah, there we go. Uh, the headline was 11 killed in shooting at Pittsburgh synagogue. And then underneath that headline, it says, Trump, allies set the tone for violence they denounced, critics say. Really? That's where we're going now? Trump allies set the tone for violence. They announced critics say, well, that, that's, that's a fun way to do journalism. Critics say. See, when I have an opinion, I just say it. When the Washington Post has an opinion, they just say, critics say. How convenient. How convenient. And then you have Julia Jaffe. So Julia Jaffe is a so-called journalist at GQ. Now, she has a reason to be mad at Trump. Back in 2015, 2016, she wrote a piece for GQ about Melania Trump wasn't very nice. And a bunch of alt-writers attacked her in anti-Semitic fashion. President Trump was asked about it. He didn't condemn it. That was gross. That was stupid. And that was wrong. I said so at the time. Go back and listen to the tape. Okay, but Julia Jaffe has gone off her rocker. So here is what she tweeted. To all the well-meaning Gentiles telling me what to think and not, go th and not go think about the synagogue shooting today, kindly shut up. Today is your day to be quiet. No. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. The question is whether that opinion is good or not. Like, for example, Julia Jaffe's a Jew. Her opinion sucks. Right? Here is her, here is her second take on this. A word to my fellow American Jews. The president makes this possible here where you live. I hope the embassy move over there where you don't live was worth it. So she's now accusing Jews in the United States who voted for President Trump or support President Trump now of dual loyalty. They care about Jews in Israel, but not Jews in America because the president is getting Jews killed in America while he's being pro-Israel. Except for the fact that this shooter specifically hated President Trump and except for the fact that you don't get to blame Jews for how they vote on Jews getting killed. Talk about blaming the victims. Now, I don't know how anybody at the synagogue voted. Maybe they voted for Trump. Maybe they didn't. It doesn't matter. You don't get to blame people for the death of other people when they have no connection to the death of other people. But this is what the left has decided to do. They've decided that every bad thing that happens in the country from an evil person has to be the result of President Trump's rhetoric. Now, again, I condemned President Trump when it came to the alt-right stuff, but you can't show me the connection that is solid between what happened at the Pittsburgh synagogue and President Trump's alt-right stuff, number one. And number two, if we're going to talk about rhetoric that leads to violence against Jews, that's going to open a whole can of worms I don't think the left wants opened. And Matt Iglesias, who is just an idiot. I mean, he's, he's, Ralph, he's Ralphie from, from The Simpsons uh, over, at, over at Bach. He tweeted out about Steve Scalise. Steve Scalise said, This morning's attack is a reminder that anti-Semitism and other forms of bigotry still persist in our society and must be confronted and combated at every turn. Iglesias tweeted, David Duke without the baggage. So now every Republican is responsible for a white nationalist shooting up a synagogue. Okay? I'm an Orthodox Jew. This is a lie. It is a lie. I go to synagogue way more than any of the people who I've quoted so far in the show. Okay? And not only that, I'm, I'm seeing an argument being made. We'll get to this in a second. The gun control argument that is being made by folks on the left in response to all of this. You know what my response to all of this is? I'm going to start carrying a gun to shul. Okay? That's my response to all of this. My response is Jews should be armed. People in synagogues should be armed. Okay, you know why? Because white nationalists are not going to give up their guns. Evil people don't give up their guns. So that means I want more people at my shul armed. I want more security guards at my shul. We'll get to all of that in just a second. 
Sorry it's an angry show today, but there's, there's no way around it, really. Uh, we'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about how you can save a little bit of money. So these days, it's obviously difficult to get people to agree on practically anything. But there's one thing we can all agree on, saving money. You can save them the cash. And the way to do that is by going to Honey. Honey is a free shopping tool that automatically searches the internet for the best promo codes every time you buy something online. Honey believes everyone deserves the best prices possible on all the things they love. That's why it works on all your favorite sites like Amazon or eBay or J. Crew, Walmart, Best Buy, Groupon. Honey has already saved listeners of this show an average of 26 bucks, 34 cents. I use Honey every time I use Amazon.com and I use Amazon.com an awful lot. They make all my products cheaper. My wife and I recently bought a, a uh, pressure cooker and we got it off of, of Amazon and Honey made it significantly cheaper. Honey has 10 million members. They have over 100,000 five-star reviews. You can save on pretty much anything using Honey. It's the money-saving shopping tool everyone can agree on. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Ben. That's joinhoney.com slash Ben. Use that slash Ben so they know we sent you. Honey is the easiest way to save money while shopping online. That's honey. joinhoney.com slash Ben. Once more, joinhoney.com slash Ben. Okay, so I have a lot more to get to, really, a lot more to get to today. But you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. For $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription to The Daily Wire. When you do, you get the rest of this show live. You get the rest of Andrew Clavin's show live. You get the rest of Michael Knowles' show live. Plus, plus, you'll be able to get all sorts of other goodies. Like, for example, don't miss Andrew Clavin's next chapter of Another Kingdom performed by Michael Knowles. Today, subscribers get exclusive access to episode five titled The Nightmare Feast. If you're not a subscriber, you won't be able to watch new episodes of season two until Friday. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to dailywire.com, subscribe to watch the first and second seasons of Another Kingdom. Coming up on Tuesday, November 6th, don't miss our next episode of Daily Wire Backstage either. You can ask us questions if you're a subscriber. It's our election edition. It's God King Jeremy Boring, me, Andrew Clavin, the horrible Michael Knowles, Alicia Krauss will all be there covering the latest election news. So we'll be bringing you the results as they come in. As always, only Daily Wire subscribers get to ask the questions. So make sure that you go and subscribe today. Go check it out right now. All right, so... Make sure that you subscribe to get the rest of today's show live. We've got a lot to talk about and be part of the mailbag later this week. We always have goodies coming up. Also, make sure that you subscribe over at iTunes or over at uh, YouTube. When you do, you get access to our Sunday special. This week, we're having on Tucker Carlson, correct? So Tucker is going to be stopping by. It should be awesome. You're going to want to be a part of that. Go check it out right now. We're the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. So as I say, members of the Democratic left have decided that when an anti-Semitic shooting takes place in Pittsburgh that has nothing to do with President Trump, it's obviously President Trump's fault. And they've continued with this narrative. Franklin Foer, who is a columnist over at The Atlantic, he wrote a full column basically on this idea that members of the Jewish community who support Republicans are responsible. He tweeted, the organized shunning of Sheldon Adelson, Jared Kushner, and other Jewish enablers is a matter of protecting the security of the community. So let me get this straight. Being mean to Jared Kushner is now going to prevent shootings at synagogues. Mm-hmm. Being mean to Sheldon Adelson, one of the great supporters of Israel in the United States, and one of the great supporters of Jewish programs like Birthright in the United States, that is somehow going to make Jews safer in the United States. If you shun me, because according to Foer, I'm one of the enablers. If you shun me, you shun Dennis Prager, you shun any other Jew who happens to be on the right, this is protecting the security of the community. Really? Is that what this is? So if you elect Barack Obama, or if you elect Keith Ellison, or if you elect a bunch of Democrats who openly hobnob with Linda Sarsour, then that makes Jews safer. But if you shun the most pro-Israel president in American history and any Jew who supports that president, even while condemning his rhetoric, then you are somehow making the Jewish community safer. I'm sorry, this is disgusting stuff. It's disgusting stuff. And then you get folks like Adam Schiff, again, Democrat from California. He says, President Trump set the tone of hatred. This is the easy argument always. Again, this is just an extension of the argument made last week about the bombing attempts against Democratic members that rhetoric is is what causes violence. I don't remember any of these conversations happening on mainstream television after Bernie Sanders supporters shot up a bunch of Congress people on a congressional baseball field. I don't remember these conversations happening for longer than two days. It was out of the headlines immediately. Now we're going to get nothing but this for months because this was always, let, let's be clear about something. This was always going to be the Democratic narrative. And it almost has nothing to do with President Trump. Now, President Trump plays right into the heart of it because he can't shut his face. But this has almost nothing to do with President Trump. If this happened under President Bush, you'd get the same crap. If this happened under President Romney, you'd get the same crap. It would not matter. People on the left tried to suggest that I was responsible for the bombing attempts last week. There are folks on the left who tried to suggest that I bore responsibility for what happened in Pittsburgh. Okay, this is insane. This is insane. 
And you can, you can separate out all these issues. You can condemn bad rhetoric when you see it on any side without doing this routine, this partisan hack job, where Adam Schiff is suddenly the great arbiter of decent rhetoric in the middle of a terrible political time. No one sets the tone more than the President of the United States. Uh, and the tone that he sets is one of division, often one of hatred, uh, sometimes one of incitement of violence against journalists. Uh, and there's no escaping our collective responsibility, but there's no escaping the tone that he sets uh, for the country. Okay, it's just, again, I agree that President Trump should set a better tone for the country. To blame President Trump's tone for everything that has happened heretofore is insane. Okay, the tone of the country was already off the rails by 2012. It's been years since we've had a decent political conversation in this country. It's been a very, very long time. Blame Trump all you want. Pretend that this is all about Trump. Ignore your own complicity in the breakdown of our political culture. But let's not pretend that the world started spinning when President Trump suddenly entered the political uh, scene. And let's stop pretending that the Democratic Party has clean hands when it comes to association with anti-Semites. Now, one of the the more scurrilous attacks on on Trump and folks on the right is the suggestion that if you're critical of George Soros, you're somehow anti-Semitic. So there's been a, a big narrative put out by folks on the left that George Soros, who is a lead Democratic donor, that if you criticize George Soros by suggesting that he gives a lot of money to causes that are nefarious, then this means that you are somehow anti-Semitic. Now, you can attack George Soros in an anti-Semitic way. You can suggest that he is part of a Jewish cabal attempting to run the country. But it seems to me that the criticism of George Soros on the right, on the mainstream right, has been no more marked than the criticism of Sheldon Adelson on the left. It seems to me that the criticism of George Soros is very much akin to the criticism of the Koch brothers on the left. And yet, the idea now is that we are going to spin every critique of George Soros into this is all about George Soros's. Jewish heritage, which is nonsense. Okay, but again, CNN is pushing this. Fox is going to say you're blaming them. Are you blaming them? I'm blaming them for putting that guest on the air and not you know, correcting him in real time. And I, so far as I know, 12 hours later, doing nothing about it. And I'm blaming, honestly, at this level, after we have Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram, and I've known all these people in the past right. on TV every night, I'm blaming the management of Fox and the investors in Fox. Okay, what he's talking about the, here is there was a Fox uh, business guest who said that the caravan had something to do with the Soros, the Soros-run State Department or something like that. And now, is that anti-Semitic? No, it may be idiotic, but it's not anti-Semitic. Okay, George Soros doesn't run the State Department, but the idea that going after George Soros as a nefarious force in American politics is somehow inherently anti-Semitic is ridiculous in the same way as suggesting that going after Sheldon Adelson is inherently anti-Semitic when he's a major donor to the Republican Party. The Democrats are looking for a narrative. They found a convenient narrative, and so this is what they are going to do. And again, I am not going to pretend, I'm not going to pretend that the left has clean hands when it comes to fighting anti-Semitism. They certainly do not. The Women's March tweeted out their sympathy for all of this. They tweeted sympathy. They said, we are turning our grief to action with, with at Jewish action to send a clear message that these anti-Semitic and xenophobic attacks can never happen again. If you're not in D.C., tune in around 3 p.m. to our Facebook page to watch and share the live stream. The Women's March includes two head women who associate openly and defend Louis Farrakhan. I am not interested in your help, ladies. If you, if you refuse to denounce the anti-Semitism in your own midst, I am not interested. There's a solidarity event in New York City. Al Sharpton showed up at the solidarity event. You've got to be kidding me. Is there anything more partisan and hackish than this? I haven't seen anything recently. Marsha Blackburn did a unity event. Leftists came and they disrupted a unity event, an anti-Semitism, anti, anti-anti-Semitism unity event with Marsha Blackburn the, ten, the Tennessee senatorial candidate left showed up to scream at her. Within the last few hours, protesters interrupted a rally for Congressman Marsha Black. She hosted Senator Lindsey Graham in West Nashville at Ray Stevens Cabaret. Our crew at the event saw four people taken out. And a police sergeant told okay, us just, three just of genius, them genius stuff, genius stuff. Okay, now the final narrative the left is trying to try it out. So they've tried out a few narratives. One is that it was Trump's fault. Two is it was Jews who support Trump's fault. This is all very convenient, isn't it? Very convenient how you just get to say all the things you, you say about people you hate normally, except now you get to blame them for murder. Okay, all, this, all the while supporting a party that routinely undermines Israel and associates with open anti-Semites. They're very convenient. Okay, the, the final narrative that is put forward is the narrative of gun control. So people are very angry because Trump, right after the attacks, he said that synagogues need better security. Here was President Trump's immediate response to the attacks. You take a look, if they had protection inside, uh, the results would have been far better. This is a dispute that will always exist, I suspect. But if they had 
some kind of a protection inside the temple, uh, maybe it could have been a very much different situation. Okay, he is not wrong. I know he got a lot of flack for this because he's, he's not talking about anti-Semitism right there. Not only is he not wrong, this has been known, wide, widely known in the Jewish community for legitimately decades, for decades. In, in France, if you go to France and you go to a Jewish institution, every Jewish institution in France has a gated yard, every single one. If you go to any place in Europe that is a synagogue, the security there is heavy. The security at my synagogue is heavy. We have probably 15 synagogues in my immediate area. The security at all of them is heavy. The synagogue where I was bar mitzvah now has a security fence all the way around it and does not leave the door unlocked. Is that sad? Yes. Is it reality? Also, yes. When I pick a, a school for my children, a Jewish day school for my children, they have to fulfill certain philosophical commitments, obviously. But within that ban, there are a bunch of schools in the area that, that do that. The very first thing that I look at, the first thing I ask about is the security consideration at those schools. Really? And it's been this way for like to pretend this, this started with Trump is just nonsense. It's not true. Okay, in 2001, I remember on September 11, 2001, my father and I were actually set to go golfing that morning. And we drove up to a, a school where my sisters were going. And we drove up and they didn't really have security. That wasn't a thing back in 2001 so much. And they asked if we could just stand outside. So we were the extra security that day on 9-11, okay, with our nine irons. Okay, that very soon ended. Right after 9-11, they upped security significantly. And that was true for every Jewish institution that I knew about. This is true for virtually every Jewish institution in the United States. Anti-Semitism is very real. Violence is very real. Now, one of the reasons that I suspect there wasn't additional security at this conservative synagogue is because conservative and reformed synagogues typically don't have quite the same security as Orthodox synagogues. Um, I'm not sure why that is. I don't, I don't really have an ideological reason or philosophical reason for that. All I can say is that if you go to Beth Jacob in Los Angeles, they actually check everybody's bag. If you bring your talus or your tefillin, which are the, the, prayer, the phylacteries or the prayer shawl with you to shul, they legitimately have a security force out front that checks your bags like you're going to Disneyland or something. Okay, this has been part of, of Jewish reality for a very long time. Does that mean that I feel unsafe? No. Again, I walk around in public with a yarmulke every single day. Every single day. America is the safest country in world history for Jews. But if you actually want to protect Jews, the answer is not to take the, 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 the guns out of the hands of people like me or out of the hands of people at my synagogue who are carrying the answer is for some of those people to be armed so that if somebody likes this shows up, maybe it's not the solution. Maybe it doesn't solve the problem, but you do have a better shot at defending yourself if there are guns in the place. So for folks who are using this as a gun control argument, I'm having a hard time seeing that. I mean, California is replete with gun control and it doesn't actually stop shootings in California. I know because I live here. It doesn't stop anti-Semitic attacks in California. I know because I live here. Uh, the, the, the attempt to jump to politics from something that has had a long in glorious history of thousands of years, uh, I find deeply off-putting. We ought to delve into the nitty-gritty of anti-Semitic rhetoric and the nitty-gritty of anti-Semitic policy. We ought to delve into all of that. But for Jews, Jews know that this is nothing new. Not only is this nothing new, this is something that Jews have always fought. Now, there's, now, on, on the Saturday that this happened, the Jews were reading a section of the Bible called Vayera. It's from, it's from the book of Genesis. And that section of the Bible talks about Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. You know, the, God tells Abraham, go sacrifice your son. Very cryptic section of the Bible. What that really is about, what that really is about is God saying to Abraham, what are you willing to risk? Are you willing to bring your child into a more dangerous world and stand for values, even at the risk of that child's life? Are you willing to dedicate your child to me? This happened at Bris Millah, which is the, the circumcision ceremony for a Jewish boy that brings him into the Jewish world. The Jewish people have always stood up and they've said, yes, yes, we're willing to stand with life. This is the tree of life synagogue. They're willing to stand with life. And because they're willing to stand with life, there are those who want death. There are those who want Western civilization broken down. There are those who want religion destroyed. There are people who are evil out there. The Jews have stood against that. The Jews will continue to stand against this. And if you are part of the right side, then you will stand against it too. And you'll do so without maliciously tearing down people who are also on the side of Western civilization. There should be more unity than fractiousness with regard to stuff like this. There just should be. Okay, now some things I like and some things I hate. You know, first I want to give a brief comment on the situation in Brazil. So I want to talk about this more tomorrow because obviously we're running out of time. But the situation in Brazil is that there's a politician who is quote unquote far right, which is to say he's a populist. Uh, his name is Yair, I think it's Yair. I'm not sure how you pronounce, is it, is it Yair? Jair, okay, so send you knows. Uh, Bolsonaro, he won Brazil's presidential election on Sunday. The reason that he won the election is because the communists have been running Brazil for the past 10, 15 years. 
and they are deeply corrupt. They kept getting thrown out of office over corruption. Brazil's economy has stagnated. And so Bolsonaro came in saying, I'm going to deregulate the economy. I'm going to fight crime. And they elected him over this. And people are panicking. Oh, it's the end of democracy in Brazil. Okay, we'll find out. But it seems like democracy in Brazil had some real problems with the communists in the very recent past. And not only that, if Brazil did not rapidly shift course on economics and on crime, the hope for the future in Brazil was not bright. It, it's, it's so funny how folks on the left seem to ignore the fact that it was left malfeasance, corruption, and inability to run a country that led to Bolsonaro's win. Okay, Bolsonaro said, we cannot continue flirting with communism. We're going to change the destiny of Brazil. He rejected the leftist PT that ran Brazil for 13 of the last 15 years. They were ousted two years ago in the midst of a deep recession and political graft scandal. Bolsonaro won a sweeping victory. He won 55% of the vote. That is a very, very broad victory in Brazil. Folks who are panicking on, you know, in the United States are panicking for the same reason that they look at, at Europe and they see right parties in Europe panicking. Now, let's not pretend that the Brazilian far right is the same thing as the American conservative movement. Very few things are the same as the limited government American conservative movement. But Bolsonaro's view of economics is much more akin to a free market system of economics than anything the left was proposing. And that is one of the driving factors here. Brazil was misrun in a, in a brutal fashion over the last 15 years. The, the old joke about Brazil that was always told is Brazil is the country of the future and always will be. Well, maybe if they actually shifted economic policy, maybe if they started tamping down crime, then things would change. But Brazil has a number of its own issues that it has to deal with. And Bolsonaro is a symptom of those issues, not the cause of them, even though the press will cover it as though Bolsonaro is the cause of those issues. Okay, time for a couple of things that I like. So you know, the, this synagogue was called Eitz Chaim. Uh, the, the phrase Eitz Chaim uh, comes from the, the book of Proverbs. There is something called Eitz Chaim in the book of Genesis, right? The, the tree of life in the book of Genesis when it talks about what's there in the garden. There's the tree of life and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve are allowed to eat from the tree of life. They're not allowed to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They have to be banished from the garden so they don't live forever after eating from the knowledge of good and evil. The, the Jewish tradition has always suggested the tree of life is Torah, it's Bible, it's relationship with God. Uh, and the, the proverb, you know, from th Proverbs 318 is, so that the, the, that's it in Hebrew, the, the English is that the tree of life, uh, you, should, you should grasp onto it uh, because in it you will find pleasure, uh, that, you, that you will find happiness. Uh, and it's sung every single Sabbath. Uh, when, whenever we put away the Torah back into the Aron, back into the Ark, we sing the song Eitz Chaim He. Here's a choir rendition of that song. The whole thing is just awful and awful and awful. And if we're not all on the same side here, and if we aren't willing to call out anti-Semitic rhetoric wherever it exists, not for partisan political purposes, but wherever it exists, if we're not willing to stand up against anti-Semites of every brand, and I don't just mean white nationalists, I mean Hamas, I mean the Palestinian Authority, I mean anti-Semites who want to destroy the state of Israel, I mean anti-Semites who want to see the death of Jews everywhere. If you're not willing to do that, all you see is Trump, just in big, fr bright, flashing letters when something like this happens. Let me suggest you're not being honest. You're, you're being dishonest and you're being spiritually dishonest as well. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. As we can see, the, the media narrative is set here uh, and it's being promulgated by folks, you know, who you would expect to promulgate this media narrative. Uh, last week, the big story before the shooting, obviously, was this attempted bombing against a bunch of Democratic officials. Michael Moore decided to share footage of a mail bomber uh, at, of the mail bomber at a Trump rally as though this proves that President Trump somehow deputized this guy, again, the Bernie Sanders congressional shooting had nothing to do with Bernie Sanders. It had to do with an evil person doing an evil thing. And as a secondary note, should we all take down the rhetoric a pitch? You, you bet we should. But this kind of stuff, blaming the entire right or President Trump for a man sending pipe bombs in the mail 
uh, is patently insane. Bill Maher went even further. He said that President Trump was partnering with the bomber. Mainstream media must clean up its act fast. That sounds like he's not condemning the bomber. It sounds to me like he's partnering with him. Okay, that, that is such a despicable statement that when you when you criticize the media and say that they need to do a better job, that you're partnering with people who are sending bombs to the media, it's just it's a blatantly insane statement. That's like saying that Bill Maher is accusing President Trump of partnering with a bomber. So if somebody sends if somebody shoots President Trump, because obviously he is now complicit in terror, right? He's basically a terrorist, then that's Bill Maher's fault. That's not the way it works. Criticizing somebody is not the same thing as suggesting that they ought to be killed or that violence ought to be done against them. If that becomes the case, then free speech is really on the brink as well. So we've now, so obviously honesty is on the brink, but now we've got free speech on the brink and gun rights on the brink. Everything is going to continue getting uglier until we can at least unify on the things we should be able to unify about. But apparently we can't even do that. It's a very depressing day. It's been a very depressing week. Hopefully the country starts to pull out of this tailspin. The first thing to do, I said this last week with regard to the bombing. I will say it again with regard to the shooting. The first thing that we ought to be doing is we ought to be judging people Don Okay, We should be trying to see people's point of view. We should try and be judging them with, with a certain amount of, of actual merit. We should try to see it as though, as though they're not bad people. There are evil people, and those evil people ought to be condemned. But the attempt to get people on the back of evil people doing things that have nothing to do with those third parties, um, it's just making the country a worse place. Well, we'll be back here tomorrow with much more. I'll be in Vancouver, so I'll be broadcasting from there. I'm speaking to a Jewish group up there. We also are visiting the University of Pittsburgh in the next few weeks. Uh, my heart goes out. My prayers go out to the folks in Pittsburgh. Just a devastating, devastating weekend again. And, um, you know, I hope the folks, if we're, if we're not going to, we have to cling to the tree of life, those eternal values, but we also have to cling to each other. This is still a country that was built on those eternal values. If we're not going to cling to each other and see each other as friends, then we will surely see each other as enemies and that the country cannot withstand. We'll be back here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Caramina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Ford Publishing production. Copyright Ford Publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 